one thing makes us Americans. The rule book. One thing. One, one, one. One rule book that brings us all together. Whether you agree with it or not, whether it creates uh, a sense of tension or not, whether you have an argument or not, whether that argument is valid or not, we have a rule book. Makes us Americans. What makes us Christians? We have a rule book. We call it the Bible. It's the truth. It's the truth of God. It's God's word. It's God's voice speaking into our lives. And not only is it God's voice, the truth speaking into our lives, it tells us that truth has a name. That name is Jesus Christ. He is the way and the truth and the life. That makes us Christians. Whether we agree on everything or not, whether sometimes we, we you know, butt heads or not over an issue, over something theological or something practical, the rule book defines who we are. Let me ask you some questions this morning. Who's tying you up? What's your furnace look like? How big is your God? The cover of Time magazine on April the 3rd declared a question in bold red letters on a black background. It took my breath away. Is truth dead? Is truth dead? Is truth just whatever anybody wants it to be? Is it what you say tomorrow? Is it what you said yesterday? Is it, is it malleable? Can you, can you shift it for your own purposes? Can you make it match up to your agenda? Is truth dead? What, what does that even mean? But I've got, a better, I've got a better statement for you. Inside that article... Hannah Arendt was quoted from a 1968 essay she wrote about truth. Hannah Arendt is a German-born American political theorist, philosopher. She is regarded as one of the most important thinkers of the 20th century. And here's what she wrote. Truth has a despotic character. It is therefore hated by tyrants who rightly fear the competition of a coercive force they cannot monopolize. Truth has a despotic nature. What's that mean? It means when you really get to the truth, you can't change it. It changes you. You can't move it out of the way, or you can try to move it out of the way. You can even feel like maybe you did move it out of the way, but sooner or later, truth will prevail. Truth will abound unto itself. Truth will invade. It will take over because that's the nature of the truth. One thing makes us Christians. A rule book. The truth. The truth about who God is. And the truth about what God, God wants to speak into our lives. So who's tying you up? What's your furnace? How big is your God. What's the most courageous thing that you can do?
Let me tell you a story from long ago, a story of courage and truth. Nebuchadnezzar was the king of Babylon from 605 B.C. to 562 B.C. He had quite a long reign. Nebuchadnezzar invaded Palestine in the year 605 and took captives. Among those taken were three men, Hananiah, whose name was changed to Shadrach, Mishael, whose name was changed to Meshach, and Azariah, whose name was changed to Abednego, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Since they were smart and strong, they were selected for an exacting three-year training program to turn them into special servants of the king. They subsequently received high leadership positions, and the, the future looked good. Maybe they received special chariots with chauffeurs. Maybe they received condos with a view of the famous hanging gardens of Babylon. Maybe they received front row seats to the World Series, which is what I would have asked for. They subsequently received these high leadership positions. The future was looking so good. That's why they never could have imagined what, it was, what was going to happen on this day when it looked like everything in their lives, everything was suddenly falling apart. It would be a day to test their courage. It would be a day to test their faithfulness like never before. Daniel chapter 3 tells the story. Reading to you today from the message. King Nebuchadnezzar built a gold statue 90 feet high and 9 feet thick. He set it up on the Dura Plain in the province of Babylon. He then ordered all the important leaders of the province, everybody that was anybody, to the dedication ceremony of the statue. They all came for the dedication, all the important people, and took their places before the statue that Nebuchadnezzar had erected. A herald then proclaimed in a loud voice, Attention, everyone, every race, color, and creed, listen. When you hear the band strike up, all the trumpets and trombones, the tubas and baritones, the drums and cymbals, fall to your knees and worship the gold statue that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Anyone who does not kneel and worship shall be thrown immediately into a roaring furnace. And the furnace was right out there for everybody to see, an intimidating furnace. The band started to play, a huge band equipped with all the musical instruments of Babylon, and everyone, every race, color, and creed fell to their knees and worshipped the gold statue that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. It was quite a moment. Just then, some Babylonian fortune tellers stepped up and accused the Jews. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, Long live the king! You gave strict orders, O king, that when the big band started playing, everyone had to fall to their knees and worship the gold statue, and whoever did not go to their knees and worship it had to be pitched into a roaring furnace. Well, there are some Jews here, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, whom you have placed in high positions in the province of Babylon. These men are ignoring you, O king. They don't respect your gods, and they won't worship the gold statue you set up. These three are kind of pushing it back in your face, Nebuchadnezzar. What are you going to do about that? 
furious. King Nebuchadnezzar ordered Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to be brought in. When the men were brought in, Nebuchadnezzar asked, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you don't respect my gods and refuse to worship the gold statue that I have set up? I'm giving you a second chance. But from now on, when the big band strikes up, you must go to your knees and worship the statue I have made. And in the background, you can begin to hear the soft voice of Aretha Franklin singing, R-E-S-P-C-T, tell you what it means to me, R-E-S-P-C-T. If you don't worship it, you will be pitched into a roaring furnace. No questions asked. Who is the God who can rescue you from my power? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered King Nebuchadnezzar, your threat means nothing to us. If you throw us in the fire, the God we serve can rescue us from your roaring furnace and anything else you might cook up, O king. But even if he doesn't, it wouldn't make a bit of difference, O king. We still wouldn't serve your gods or worship the gold statue you set up. Now why, why do Meshach, And Abednego, his other friend, who I forgot his name right now. Thank you. Please feel free to have audience participation whenever it's necessary to help the preacher. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You know why they could do that? Because they knew the truth. They knew who they were, and they knew where they were going, and they knew God, and they knew what God could do deep in their hearts, and they were basing their entire lives on it. They had the courage in the middle of this society that was worshiping false gods to hold on to the truth, the truth that defined everything about them. And they knew that if they went into the furnace and they burned up, they would be with God. They also knew they could go into the furnace and God could be there with them and protect them. And so they are not worried. They're just courageous in their faith. Nebuchadnezzar, his face purple with anger, cut off Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He ordered the furnace fired up seven times hotter than usual. He ordered some strong men from the army to tie them up, hands and feet, and throw them into the roaring furnace. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, bound hand and foot, fully dressed from head to toe, were pitched into the roaring fire. Because the king was in such a hurry and the furnace was so hot... Flames from the furnace killed the men who carried Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to it, while the fire raged around Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So they go in. They're like human logs. They, they can't move. They're just thrown in, and the men who threw them in perished because of the heat, the intensity of the heat. Suddenly, Nebuchadnezzar, King Nebuchadnezzar jumped up in alarm and said, didn't we throw three men bound hand and foot into the fire? That's right, O king, they said. But look, he said, from his vantage point, from where he was sitting, I see four men walking around freely in the fire, completely unharmed. And the fourth man looks like a son of the gods. And the only way I can think about this, and this isn't in the text, but the only way I can really see this is in the brightness of the fire, there was something that was more bright than the fire. And the fourth man looks 
like a son of the gods. Nebuchadnezzar went to the door of the roaring furnace. He got as close as he could, and he called in, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the high God, come out here. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego walked out of the fire. All the important people, the government leaders and king's counselors, gathered around to examine them and discovered that the fire hadn't so much as touched the three men. Not a hair singed, not a scorch mark on their clothes, not even the smell of fire on them. You know when you sit around a campfire sometimes and you're there for a while and you're making s'mores or you're roasting marshmallows and the smoke kind of pours over you for a while and then you walk away and there's that smell of smoke on you. There was no smell. There was nothing. Nebuchadnezzar said, as he sees this, blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He sent his angel and rescued his servants who trusted in him. They ignored the king's orders and laid their bodies on the line rather than serve or worship any god but their own. Who's tying you up? Who's binding you up? What's your furnace look like today? How big is your God? One of my favorite books is called Courageous Leadership. In that book, Bill Hybels gives all kinds of stories and perspectives about leadership and life and and why why it takes courage to step into the moment, why it takes courage to step into the gap, why it takes courage to say the right thing at the right time to the right people. But then there's this quote that, that settles me down and humbles me. He writes, too often I hesitate to take courageous action because I don't want to put decade, decades of work on the line. Sometimes I say to myself, I've taken enough hits. I don't want to take any more risks. I don't want to expand myself to the limits one more time. So one of the greatest leaders I know of who has made a worldwide impact on leadership in our day and time says, sometimes I can't do it anymore. Sometimes it just seems too hard. I don't want to take another hit. I don't want to ramp up the energy. I I don't feel, I'm writing a book on courageous leadership. I don't always feel like I can be courageous. And sometimes we all feel like that when somebody binds us up. And sometimes we all feel like that when we take a look at the furnace that's before us. And sometimes it helps us to know and to define how big our God really is. So let me tell you about courage. Let me tell you about a courage that changes you, a courage that, that writes a whole new story for your life and for the lives of those people that you journey in life with. Courage, first of all, is getting truth into the fibers of your being so you think and act like him. So you think and act like God acts. That's, that's why Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are such great role models of courage because they were steeped 
in God's truth. They, were, they understood what it meant to abide in God. Jesus, many centuries later, would talk about the vine and the branches. He would talk about abiding. And, and that was not just a nice story for one day in the life of the disciples. That is the story of our lives. The abiding changes us. It's not just about what we think. It's not just about how we grew up. It's not just about doing the same old, same old. It's about understanding that God has a heartbeat and God has a way of thinking and God has a way of, of getting things done and to, to, to abide in that so that when you have an opportunity, what you say is what God would say. What you do is what God would do. How you move into something with courage is how God would want you to move into something with courage. And as Hybels writes about it, I don't, I don't always do that. I don't always do that. The other day, I, I, I didn't do that. Uh, I did something that I often do, and I do this just because of my culture, my background. I've done it for years. It's one of the favorite things that I do in life. I enjoy doing this. I'm not sure if it's a sin or not. I'll let you decide. And right now, you're very excited to hear what I'm going to say next. So, so here's what I do. I make my own parking spaces. I, I sometimes park on sidewalks. Now, this isn't the actual parking space that I'm talking about. I just shot this this morning on Laskin Road and, and got it from CNN, uh, who has tweeted it all over the world. But I, I love to create parking spaces. And if I have to find my place on a sidewalk, I will do it. Why will I do it? Well, for two reasons. Because I enjoy it, just I enjoy it. But the second reason is I've signed a contractual agreement with my wife never to let the dogs out of my sight wherever I am. And the dogs are always riding in the back seat of this car. Boating Wilson, they're actually in the car right there. You can't really see them, but they're, they're there. And I can never take them out of my sight ever. And so if I'm going to stop someplace and have a cup of coffee or stop someplace and have something to eat, I always have to park right in front so I have a window to look out and see them. So this particular place that I was stopping on 19th Street to have a cup of coffee with my son didn't have a parking space, so I made my own parking space on the sidewalk, and it caused disruption inside of the coffee shop. People were all rattled by this. People were upset by this. People were screaming and tearing their clothes over this. It was like a biblical moment or something. Whose car is that, they proclaimed. Who is parked on the sidewalk, they asked. And they asked everybody. They looked at everybody and they asked everybody. And everybody was like, it's not me. It's not me. And then they looked at me. And I said, yes, it is me. And I have to do this because I'm watching dogs in the car. So I will, I will quickly drink my coffee, and then I will move my car. And they said, we think you should move your car now. I, no, I will quickly drink my coffee, because I'm here to do that, and then I will move my car. Now ask a bunch of sidewalk lawmakers if I'm right, and you'll get a resounding slam dunk no and a quick phone call to aristocrat towing. And they're the people that tow cars at the beach. Uh, if you're not parked in the right place, aristocrat will tow you. How do I know that? You can figure that out. Ask a bunch of dog owners and puppy lovers, and you get a resounding step away from the car, and no one gets hurt. Does somebody have a treat for these little guys here on the sidewalk? See, I don't always act the way I'm supposed to act, but I try to 
to abide so that in the moment when courage is required, when it's bigger than coffee, when it's bigger than a Virginia Beach sidewalk, when it's, it's something about faith and life changing something, shifting something, I want to have truth in the fibers of my being so that I can think and act like him. Courage is keeping the church porch light on for anyone who wants to come home. In a world that's broken, in a world that's, that's topsy-turvy, the church is, is one of the few places that people can come home to and know that somebody will be here for you. Somebody will, will walk with you and listen to you, put their arm around you. And that creates messy situations because people come to the church messy. People come to the church with questions and, and, and sometimes you try to give them answers and they push back on your answers. And so it takes, takes a while, but, but where would we, we be if we weren't people of the porch light staying on? Remember the story of the prodigal son. The father sat there waiting for him to come home. I remember when, when my journey was like that and I needed a place to go and I needed a place to show up and ask questions and some people said, we'll, we'll hear your questions and we'll walk with you in that journey of confusion. And because of that, I was brought in to an understanding of who Jesus Christ was and how he could change my life. So, so look around at the lives that you're living. Where are the messy situations? Where are the people with questions? Where are the people who, who need hope? The people who are getting tied up and thrown into the furnaces of life. And you know how big God is. And so that's where you invite somebody and you say, I have a place where you can ask those questions. It's a different kind of place. But, but come, come home with me. Come with me to this place and learn that there is hope. Courage is keeping the church porch light on for anyone who wants to come home. Courage is owning the responsibility to do whatever it takes to make sure all ministry stays relevant and strong. And sometimes ministry runs its course, or sometimes ministry isn't relevant and it's not strong anymore. I remember those days when there used to be Sunday evening services, and, and every church just about had a Sunday night service, and you were supposed to be there. And it didn't matter you know, what you thought. It didn't matter what game was on. You were supposed to be there. And because I was an assistant pastor in those days and times, I got to, to speak and teach at those evening services. And I would look at people sometimes who were falling asleep, literally falling asleep. And I would look at people who definitely wanted to be watching the game at home. I would look at people who like, it doesn't really look like they're engaged or that they wanted to, to be here. And it was difficult, but one guy, he was always excited about being there. And, and he was excited to be there on a Sunday night, but Sunday night was different because you could dress down a little bit. And so he would wear shorts, and he loved to wear shorts, and he just loved to be there in shorts. And so one time he came up to me, and he said this. I'll never forget it. He says, Michael, I love the evening service because of the casualty of it. And of course, of course, he meant casual, you know, shorts part of it. You can come in shorts, the casual nature of it. But he, he said the truth, the casualty of it. And I knew he said the truth. It was almost like God spoke through him at that moment to me and said, Michael, end this. 
end this mercifully, end this thing. And sometimes you have to end something to begin something new and different. And courage is owning the responsibility to do whatever it takes to make sure all ministry stays relevant and strong. Personal agendas evacuate courage. When, when people say, it's got to be this way because I want it this way. It's got to be this way because I see it this way. Uh, you have to have my mind in what you're doing. And, and, and that never works either. Personal agendas evacuate courage. You have to have the responsibility to make sure all ministry stays relevant and strong, which means being vigilant and courageous all the time, watching everything. Courage is realizing the church has hurt people and figuring out how to rebuild the bridge or how to rebuild the bridges back to people who have been desperately hurt. I walked in a room this week and there were a group of people seated around a, a number of tables. And, and I sat down and I introduced myself as a pastor. And one woman, as soon as I said that, one woman went, went like this. And and uh, and then I said a few more things, and then she went. Mm, she got up. She walked out of the room. And I, I knew I didn't even know this person, uh, unless she was the person who owned the coffee shop where I parked my car on the sidewalk. But um, I didn't even know this person. So I'm thinking there's there's something going on here. And somebody went out. And, and got her and got her, you know, calmed down and to a certain extent, and then and brought and actually brought her back in, and then she told her story. It was a story of how a pastor had desperately hurt her. It was a story about a Christian family that that disrespected her and and didn't understand her and put her down, and so everything in her life from the time she was a child, you know was so dark in terms of, of God and the church. It, it, was, it was so negative, such a negative influence in her life. And she, she poured out that story. And I was overwhelmed by it. And I just, I just said, I am so sorry. I am so sorry. That should never have happened to you. And I didn't say much of anything else at that point. There are a lot of hurting people. And there are a lot of people who... If they will be listened to and heard and, um, and honored, uh, they, can, they can get another different perspective of God, a perspective of a God who's full of grace, a perspective of God who can do something in and through brokenness. But courage is realizing that the church has hurt people. And because maybe it's not this church, maybe it's another church, but it's our responsibility to figure out how do we build bridges for that. And that's one of the reasons that we started Spring Branch, because we wanted to be a place at the, at the intersection of sacred history and secular culture, where people who were hurt could come, where people who had questions could come and be here, and we would, we would build bridges. We would build courageous bridges of hope. Courage is giving away what you can't really keep to receive what you can't ever buy I remember that time when I was at the Judeo-Christian Outreach Center and uh, I was trying to show some of my, my, my religion students you know, what Christianity does in, in real time, in live action, because of the heartbeat of a man who heard the heartbeat of God. This, this 
mission started to feed hungry people at the oceanfront. And so here it is 30 years later and it's still happening, 35 years and uh, it's just people, 100 or so people have a meal there every single night and there's, there's a food closet and there's a, a clothes closet and all these things that just help people who just need somebody to say, we still care about you. If you don't have a home, you can have a home here. And so I'm, I'm teaching about this, I'm talking about this, and, and sitting right in front of me is a man who has a pair of sneakers on, the worst pair of sneakers I had seen in a long time. Uh, I mean, these had ceased to be sneakers, they were just eakers. They were just not good. And I'm looking at these things almost falling off this guy's feet, and I'm thinking, I look down, I have brand new sneakers on that I just, I just got. These are not just sneakers. These are, are um, like all-terrain sneakers, like me. I need all-terrain anything. <laughs> you know, what's my terrain, you know? So, so I go, I got these all-terrain things on. So I look, and I, I size up. He looks like he's wearing my size, and, and he was. I said, hey, I'd like to give you these sneakers. And he gladly received them. And, and so I walked, I walked out in my socks. And, uh, and later on, one of the students said at the end of the class that the only thing he was going to remember five years from this class was the day that I gave my sneakers to that man. And what did I do? I went and bought a new pair of sneakers. And I just kept on, kept on going. But in bigger ways... Courage is giving away what we can't really keep anyway because of where we're going. We're going to someplace magnificent. We're going to someplace where we get it all for eternity. So give away what you can't really keep to receive what you can't ever buy because it's just a gift from what Jesus did on the cross for you and for me. Courage is giving away but you can't really keep. Courage is letting God show you the way and then going that way, even when it doesn't make economic or relational sense. I'll tell you a quick story of the time that my wife and I were, were dating and, and we were just about to, to get engaged. Uh, I, was, I had prayed, you know, God, you know, show, me, show me who my wife's going to be. And I felt like God was saying, this, this woman... Gail Rogers, this woman, she's, she's going to be your wife. I have set her in this place for you so that you, with her, can follow me and do my calling upon your lives. And so I'm dealing with all this spiritually and praying about it. So one day we're, we're taking a walk. It's just before I, I think I just before I asked her to marry me. Uh, we're taking a walk in the woods behind her parents' house. And there was this big woods that went up, you know, to the top of a mountain and we're walking our dog, her dog. It was her dog. I had never had a dog in my life. I didn't understand dogs. I didn't know what to do with dogs. So we're walking Sam, and, and he's having a good time in the woods, and, and all of a sudden we come upon somebody else walking their dog, and it's a German shepherd, and a German shepherd got loose, and he attacked Sam. So Gail reaches down, grabs Sam, gives him to me, and she says, run, which I was really happy to do. <laughs> run, because I'd once gotten bitten by a German shepherd. Run. So I'm running away with the cock spaniel. I look back, and she's doing hand-to-hand combat with the German shepherd. And I start to think, God, are you leading me to a woman who will fight hand-to-hand with a German shepherd? 
And God said, yes. I said, what does that mean for me? This is not looking good for me. You know, but I, 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 I moved into it. I moved into it with great courage and faith. And, and I know what it's like to live with a woman who fights hand-to-hand with a German shepherd. Um, courage. Courage is doing everything you can to give the next generation a vision for faith and life when they can never repay you, nor can they probably understand what you're giving them. And so you give and you give and you serve and you serve because that's the courageous thing to do. Courage is living for Christ in a post-Christian culture of everyone doing what is right in their own eyes and you never apologize for following Christ and for living out the truth in everyday life, for bringing faith and life together in real time. Courage is facing what needs to be changed and working through the process of change with prayer, humility, compassion, and resolve. One of the greatest quotes I ever heard is this. Leadership isn't having all the answers. It's having the courage to ask the questions. And sometimes Brene Brown says, you just have to ask the hard questions and be courageous in the pursuit of those answers that will change everything. Who's tying you up? What's your furnace look like? How big is your God? In the movie, We Bought a Zoo, there's a scene where the father is talking to the son and and he's trying to get him to understand something that's really important about life. And he says this, Sometimes all you need is 20 seconds of insane courage, 20 seconds of embarrassing bravery, and I promise you something great will come of it. What if we could all find our own 20 seconds of insane courage right now? 20 seconds of embarrassing bravery that would do what God is trying to do because he is so big and the furnace means nothing to him and he he takes his truth and he puts his truth out there against anyone who's trying to tie you up and render you ineffective for your days courage always reflects the truth courage draws a line courage takes a stand courage lives the truth courage believes when there seems to be a dead end ahead that you keep going. You keep going with a sustaining grace. So where do you need courage today? You know where it is. You can see the furnace because the furnace has a name and you know what the name of your furnace is. Why courage in the face of the furnace? Why courage in the face of those who want to tie you up and throw you in? What else are you going to do that makes any sense in the economy of God and his kingdom? One thing, one thing makes us Christians. The courage to believe we have a rule book that tells us the truth and shows us that truth has a name. His name is Jesus. Who's tying you up? What's your furnace look like? How big is your God? Truth has a despotic character. It is therefore hated by tyrants who rightly fear the competition of a coercive force. 
they cannot monopolize. Truth will change you. Truth changed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They didn't have to worry about who was tying them up, even if it was a king. They didn't have to worry about how hot the furnace looked because they had the courage to believe in a big God. Dear Heavenly Father, give us the courage to, to walk through whatever it is right now that is intimidating or difficult or stressful or broken or heartbroken. Give us the courage to face whatever it is or whoever it is that's trying to tie us up with the truth. Give us the courage to know that whatever the furnace looks like, you're going to be in it with us and that we're going to walk out of it. And we're going to walk out of it like nothing even happened. Father, give us the courage to know how big you really are in everything, in everything in our lives. And let that be the story, the story of all our days. We give you this time in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior.